You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. He's the answer to every need. Someone said all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but God can. And no matter what the the need, God can meet the need. Thank you. That's a great song. Praise the Lord. How you doing this evening? Everybody get a nap? (laughs) I'm glad I did. I think I'm glad. I'm not sure if I feel better or worse, you know, but I got a nap anyway, so... Anyway, good to be back with you again tonight. Say, uh, I did want to mention, in fact, I meant to mention this morning and I forgot to do so. I want to remind you men, uh, the men's retreat this year is coming up again, uh, first weekend of August, of, of August, of October, and uh, I think that's the third, fourth, and fifth this year, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning. And uh, if you've never gone to the men's retreat, may I strongly encourage you to do so. It's a great time. Those men who've gone should be the best salesmen around here. It's been a blessing each and every year. And uh, this year it'll be kind of a special uh, interest to you folks. Uh, the two preachers this year are from California. And uh, one of them is Aaron Jett's father. Marshall Stevens will be one of the speakers. The other is Brother Bill Ranch. They both pastor in California. And uh, both of them will be a great blessing to you as well. So you don't have that on your calendar already, be sure you put it on there and plan for it. And uh, trust each of you men will make, uh, make plans to be there. I promise you, you won't be disappointed, and it'll be a great blessing in your life. Uh, I would just say, ladies, uh, you would do well to insist that your husband go. You will benefit from it, I promise you. So, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. We'll get into the Word of God for this evening, okay? Father, we do rejoice uh, in today, the Lord's Day. We thank you for the privilege it's been to be together in your house around the Word of God. Now for that privilege once again, and I pray, Lord, it would not be in vain, but rather, uh, right now, you prepare our hearts and minds to receive what you have for each of us, and Lord, that uh, your Son and our dear Savior would be exalted, each of us would be drawn closer to him, you'd do that conforming work, Lord, in each of our lives and make us a vessel that's fit for your use, and again, would bring honor and glory to you. And so we commit the service to you now, looking to you for what you're going to do. We'll praise you for it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I have the uh, privilege, great privilege to get to lead someone to the Lord, or I meet a new believer, I try to encourage them in a couple of things. I, I say there's Three primary things you need to establish in your life uh, by which the Lord will really develop you and bless you in the way he wants you to. And I say it's kind of like a tripod. And if you pull one of the legs off the tripod, it's, in sta- it's not very stable for one for sure, but most likely it'll tip over. And I said the three, three legs of stability in your Christian life are church attendance. Uh, I'm fishing for some amens here. <laughs> church attendance. Prayer time and Bible reading. And those three things, you need all three of them active in your life. And then I tell them as far as in the Bible reading aspect, I want to encourage them in a way to get started in their Bible reading. I say, I want to give you a little tip. Uh, If you're just going to start in Genesis, and I know Genesis is foundational, it's in the beginning, I understand all that. But I say, if you're a new believer and you start in Genesis, Probably in chapter 5, you'll get bogged down when you get into the genealogies. <laughs> and if you get, get through that, on through uh, Exodus, and, by the time you get to Leviticus, that'll be the end of your Bible reading. It'll just, it'll overwhelm you. And so I tell them, really, I, there's five books of the Bible that I recommend you start reading and start there. And then when you get done, you can go back and then just start in Genesis. But it'll give you some foundational things. And, and one is, I tell them the Gospel of John. Start there because it'll tell you about your Savior. He's wonderful. He's precious. And uh, so, Gospel of John. Then I tell them Romans. Book of Romans will tell you about your salvation. It's a great gift we have, isn't it? The gift of eternal life and all the benefits that come from that. 
And then I tell them <clears throat> a third one to read uh, is the uh, book of James. I say, James will... Uh, you familiar with the book of James? James doesn't have any time for people that say they're a believer and they don't want to serve God. Uh, he says, you know, I know, I've heard it. He said, you'll prove, you know, you're saved by faith. He said, I'll prove my faith by my works. And he, he admonishes and calls folks to account in replace of responsibility. Uh, and come on, we need to understand as a Christian, we have responsibilities. We need to meet up to that. So James is kind of a no-nonsense book about our responsibility and our accountability as a believer. And so we need, we need a good dose of the book of James. And then 1 John, I was noticing on your uh, announcements here that uh, Brother Jed, I believe, is preaching a series through 1 John. 1 John will tell you about the love that we have in, uh, by way of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, you know, for the world, love's just another four-letter word. But God's love's altogether different, isn't it? And that's the kind of love certainly that we have benefited from, but it's also the kind of love that God wants to see manifested in our lives, uh, that we'll love him and love others. And so 1 John's important in that regard. I think I said five books, four. And then, <clears throat> then the fifth, I guess, I would kind of use as a combination. And I say the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. And I say they're kind of your spiritual vitamins. You need one every day. I mean, you start, again, John, Romans, uh, James, 1 John, but every day, starting from the time you get saved, you need to read a passage of Psalms and you need to read a passage of Proverbs. That's just your daily vitamins. And Psalms will make you sweet, Proverbs will make you smart. And you need a dose of both, particularly in the world we live in today, right? And so I encourage folks in that way. And, and I want to call your attention to one of those passages here tonight, the book of Psalms, okay? We're going to take our uh, text from the book of Psalms. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn to Psalms 1. We're going to take uh, that psalm as our passage here tonight. But let me say a couple things about, about the book of Psalms itself. Uh, the Hebrew title of the book of Psalms means literally book of praises, and I think, again, all of us would understand uh, the book of Psalms is a book of songs. Okay? And it's praises particularly directed to the Lord, the Lord himself. <clears throat> it's literally what could be called a hymn book of worship. And uh, David, as we know, wrote most of the Psalms. I'll come back to some particulars of the writers here in a moment, but uh, and many of the psalms, and one of the reasons I recommend a psalm every day is because David was one, <clears throat> I think if any of us can relate to any Bible character, he, we're probably more apt, some, some relate to Peter, I understand that, but I think in, in, a, in a way of dealing with the cares and the daily con, con, you know, contentions of life, so to speak, uh, David represents all of us, the things that we face. But David, all the things that he went through, many of the Psalms are written out of exasperation and, and need, and certainly he's praising the Lord, but, he, but he, he speaks out of a heart of need. And man, you read the Psalms, it, it'll minister to your heart, because often it'll find you right where you're living. And, uh, but there's many things, you know, in the midst of things that we face, there's reason for which to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, I'll come back to some of that here in a moment as well, but... Uh, the Psalms are, again, in the midst of whatever we face, we can praise the Lord for his goodness, his grace, his, his strength, his help, his aid, you know, I mean, his, all that he is to us in our daily lives. And so the Psalms are, are certainly that. Spurgeon, of course, wrote a renowned uh, seven-volume commentary called The Treasury of David. As it spoke, again, to, to the fact that most of the Psalms uh, were written uh, humanly speaking, by David. Uh, <clears throat> Isaac Watts, known for the Watts hymnal, uh, he said of the, the Psalms, he said, they are the thousand-voiced heart of the church. And again, I say they speak to so many of the conditions that we face and uh, things, of course, that we rejoice in, but most of all rejoicing in the, the God that we serve. <clears throat> there is an assortment, as I made mention, uh, of other writers, David the primary one, but uh, let me just kind of give you a list of writers of, of the Psalms. There's a man named Heman, H-E-M-A-N. 
He wrote one psalm, the 88th psalm. A man named Ethan wrote one psalm, the 89th psalm. Moses wrote a psalm. Do you know that? He wrote the 90th psalm. In fact, of all the psalms, that is the oldest psalm. And I might just throw in for free, not all the psalms are written in the book of Psalms. Uh, there, after they crossed the Red Sea and they got on the other side, it says they sang the song of Moses. It was a psalm, a song of deliverance. And that's recorded there, of course, in the book of Exodus. Uh, <clears throat> there's a psalm in Chronicles. There's different places in which we'll read songs uh, that came out of conditions for which they praised God or appealed to God. But Moses wrote the oldest psalm listed in the psalms, the 90th one. Solomon wrote two psalms. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, wrote 10 psalms. Uh, the sons of Korah wrote 11 different psalms. And, and probably next to David, the most known uh, psalm writer, Asaph, uh, he wrote 12 of them. And then there's 39 psalms that there's no uh, surety of who the human author was. And a case could be made that maybe many of them were in fact written by David, but they don't know for sure. There's 39 Psalms that they don't know uh, who the human author was for sure. But the rest of them, again, uh, David is the instrument that God used uh, to pen these, this great record of, of praises and, and inspiration that we know as the book of Psalms. Key Psalms. There's 150 of them. The key psalms would be these. The first psalm. Uh, you're going to talk about psalms that you need to be familiar with and be, uh, be knowledgeable of. Uh, these are those that would be that. Psalm 1, which is going to be our text here in just a moment. Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 are both messianic psalms. Great prophetic and typology uh, issues or, or praises mentioned in those two psalms. The 23rd psalm, you ever heard of that one? <laughs> that's, that's a key psalm. Uh, 37th psalm is one of my favorites. Uh, the 50th psalm. The 100th psalm. Again, these are those that are their key psalms. Psalm 117. Every Bible student knows Psalm 117. It's the shortest psalm. <laughs> and then the longest psalm is Psalm 119. If you're familiar with Psalm 119, it's really a standard kind of a song. It's written in, uh, in, in line, lines, or you could say in, uh, in phrases or verses. Uh, they're written of, in verses of eight. It's an interesting thing, uh, you may or may not know. The 119th Psalm, when, it, when a young man at 12 years of age in a Jewish home was sent, uh, they would be sent to the... <clears throat> synagogue or the temple, and uh, they would spend the first couple of years in their formal schooling under the tutelage of the, the priests. And one of the regimens of their education was to memorize the 119th Psalm. So I always like to tell children, next time you're challenged with some passage you have to memorize, think of having to memorize the longest psalm in the Bible. Someone said the longest chapter in the Bible. But... <clears throat> They memorized the whole thing. And it was, a, it was an elementary regimen of the Jewish or the Hebrew alphabet. So Psalm 119 is a very key, key psalm. And then, of course, the last psalm, Psalm 150. It's interesting, the first psalm and the last psalm are both uh, key psalms uh, in uh, the Word of God. <clears throat> but as I say, uh, one of the key, if not in my opinion, uh, maybe the key to the book of Psalms is the first psalm. So if you're able and you, you can stand uh, in the honor of God's word, we're going to read the first psalm and then come back and notice uh, some particular things about it, okay? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor 
sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God bless you. You may be seated. Young people who've come up in church, they've gone, they've, they've certainly gone through youth rallies and different things where they've done sword drills. Everybody familiar with sword drills? Yeah. And uh, so they tell you, get ready. And anybody that's active in sword drills, learn some things about places you want to turn to. And uh, the book of Psalms is where? Right in the middle of the Bible. Unless you have a some sort of a study Bible that has a long concordance in the back, then it throws you off. But, but as a rule, when you think about Psalms, it's in the middle of the Bible, okay? And uh, I think that's really not, not by accident. I think there's some purpose there. I think it says something about really what the Psalms represents and maybe the importance of it. Someone has said it's in the middle of God's Word because it's the center of what should be man's focus, Now, again, the book of Psalms is primarily a record of praise to God. It's a songbook in which we praise him, and there's things about him that we praise him and thank him for. And so the center, again, of the the word of God would certainly be that, wouldn't it? Our knowledge and our understanding of who God is and our relationship before him. And then it also should be the, uh, really the heart of man's, well, of God's message to man, you know. Uh, what is the, I guess you'd say, the primary message of the Word of God? Trust in the Lord. You know. Trust in the Lord. Uh, in Psalm 118, it says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's a good rule to live by, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, again, the, the real heart of the message of the Word of God is put our trust in the Lord. It starts with our saving faith, but then we're to walk by faith, not by sight. And so just trusting him day by day. And certainly many of the Psalms, as I said, David spoke out of his own personal experiences in his life and how he had to learn to trust the Lord in the midst of, you know, out in the wilderness running from Saul who was hunting him down like a dog and all the things that he faced and the troubles that he went through. uh, He learned day by day to trust the Lord. And he spoke uh, from his own personal experiences of learning from that and the benefit of doing that, which is, again, why you might make a case of not just Psalms being in the middle of the Bible, because it would be the center of attention we ought to have, or the heart of God's message to man, but I would say then Psalm 1, there's some interest in the chronology in which the Psalms are written. It's interesting then that Psalm 1 would be Psalm 1, (laughs) that it would be listed as the first Psalm. Because I believe Psalm 1 is kind of a capsulation of what God intends for man. God's good. And he wants his goodness to be experienced in our lives. He, well, again, we'll come to it here in just a moment, but uh, God's intention for man is, is goodness and, and blessing and and benefit and prosperity and the things that he mentions here. So you could take Psalm 1 and say it's kind of an overview or kind of an encapsulation, again, of what you want to know what God's attitude or God's intention or God's heart for man or God's desire for his relationship with man. It's really summed up in Psalm 1. This, this says all that we need to know about what God wants for us and what God intends for us. So look, if you will... <clears throat> Right there in the first verse of Psalm 1, blessed is the man. God wants to bless man. (laughs) That's a good thing, isn't it? That's encouraging to know. God's not some ogre (laughs) up in heaven, you know, with with a big club waiting for us to step out of line and wacko, you know, he let us have. No, God loves us. He has blessings in store for us. He he doesn't want to curse us. He takes no pleasure, the Bible says, in the death of the wicked. (laughs) He wants to bless Blessed is the man. And again, not just spiritual blessing, though it certainly starts there, and I guess you could say that's the most important thing. We have uh, occasions in our church, as I'm sure you do as well, when we say, let's just have a little time for some testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And uh, 
So over the course of my experiences as a pastor, I learned that if you don't put some parameters on that, (laughs) uh, one thing is time. So I usually say, now, stand up, speak up, and then shut up. (laughs) Get to the point, you know, something you're rejoicing in, but be brief so that others can have an opportunity. And then I say this, and I know, I know you're thankful for your salvation. And everybody here, if we take time for testimony, everybody would say, the first thing I want to say is I'm thankful for my salvation. So we all know that. So don't stand up and say, I'm thankful for my salvation. But you know what? (laughs) You can't hardly keep from saying that, can you? Because if we're not saved, nothing else really matters. Every spiritual blessing that we enjoy really comes out of first and foremost knowing the Lord Jesus as our Savior. What would we be without salvation? I'll tell you what we'd be. We'd be condemned, and we are without Jesus Christ. So thank God for salvation. So when people say, yeah, but I want to say thank Jesus for myself. Okay, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that because all of us really want to. Every spiritual blessing that we have begins, and every blessing really starts with the spiritual, spiritual context or the spiritual origin which we have in our personal relationship with the Lord. Jesus himself said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. What? And his righteousness. And what? You know the passage? And all these things will be added unto you. Shall be added unto you. What all things? All the blessings that we enjoy. But it starts first with seeking God and his righteousness. Our relationship of righteousness before him. And so all the benefits that come by way of spiritual and physical start with our personal spiritual relationship with the Lord. Psalm 32 itself says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So again, I say it all starts with the spiritual blessing and relationship through salvation. But then again, there are many, many physical blessings. I think I made mention this morning. I'm so thankful I was saved as a young man because... Saved me from a lot of heartache and a lot of grief and a lot of hurtful things that I could have and would have experienced. In fact, thank God for his mercy and sometimes just his goodness in that. Come on, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I'm made out of the same clay you are. I struggled with things. And, you know, if it hadn't been the fact, I can think back in times in my life, thank God he pinned me in a corner (laughs) and he kept me from doing things that I'm telling you now as a, as a preacher could have really kept me from the ministry, could have ruined my life. But God in his mercy and his grace, he just trapped me, sometimes painted me in a corner and kept me from doing things I would have done. God's good. God's good and thank God again for his goodness. And so, so many blessings. Blessed is the man, so many blessings. Come on, if we did have a testimony time, we do have to put a time limit on it because we could go on and on and on count your blessing name them one by one if we did we'd be here all night all the many blessings that come because god wants to bless need i take time in a baptist church to call our attention to malachi chapter (laughs) three god wants to open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing that we cannot contain if we don't rob god Tithing, need I get on tithing in a Baptist church? Shouldn't have to. I said shouldn't have to. That's the Lord's money. I said that's the Lord's money. Maybe I do need to preach on it. Come on, you haven't given God a dime until you give past the tithe because the tithe is the Lord's. Come on, amen, are you on my side? I'm on your side. Come on, on the Lord's side, yes, sir. But I'm telling you, God wants to bless. And he says many times, You're not blessed because you've resisted my will to bless you. I want to pour the blessing. I want to open the windows of heaven. But you're living in such a fashion that I can't do it. God wants to bless. Yes, he does. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man. And then there's kind of an inference here. In the last part of verse 1 into verse number 2, he says... Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat 
of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. There's an inference here, and I call it this. God, God intends to bless, but God intends for us to make right choices. We're not, we're not robots. Hello? You know we're made in God's image? And that's not just in the physical sense. I think there is that. We can read about different aspects of God and his hand and different things that physically we're made in his image, but more so we're made emotionally and spiritually. God is triune. You know we're triune? Body, soul, and spirit. Emotion. God loves. I mean, there's different things. God chooses. God has a will. God's given us a will. We're not, we're not machines. We have a choice in the matter. <clears throat> Did I mention this one? I've kind of been on this here lately. There's this, it's kind of cyclical, this thing that crops up every now and then called Calvinism. I said there's two, there's two doctrines in the Word of God that I can see. You, you can take your pick on different kinds of beliefs and different kinds of dogma. And I could say, you know, I could see how maybe somebody would believe that. I don't believe that, but I can see how maybe they would. But there's two things that are very commonly taught and believed in so-called churches today that I'm telling you, maybe I'm just a simple guy, but I don't understand how in the world you could believe it. One is that you can lose your salvation. How in the world, if anybody gives any attention to the word of God at all, how do you think you can lose your salvation? If we could lose it, we would lose it. <laughs> if it was up to me to keep, I couldn't keep it. But he keeps us saved. Somebody say amen. Thank God for that. He saves us and keeps us. It's called eternal life. I said it's called eternal life. It's either eternal or it's not. Hello? How in the world can people think you can lose it? I, it's beyond me. But boy, they do. There's a whole bunch of groups think you can lose it. And then this thing called Calvinism. How in the world? <laughs> Anybody that has any attention to the word of God think that God chooses certain ones to be saved and certain ones to go to hell and you don't have any say in it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter who witnesses to you. It does not matter. It's already done. It's already said and done. You're going to hell or you're going to heaven. You can't change it. Who in the world reads the Bible and comes up with that nonsense? <laughs> Talking about 1 John, John said, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and he's writing to Christians in 1 John. He said he is the propitiation, talking about the Lord Jesus, for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I said for the sins of the whole world. He's talking about the unsaved too. I had a little back and forth with a, with a preacher that believes Calvinism. And we, we were going back and forth. And he said this to me. <laughs> I never heard of this, but I thought, this, this, is, this is as exposing as it gets. He said, so you believe that people in hell, Jesus didn't, that Jesus died for them. <laughs> Let me say it again. He said, so people in hell, you believe Jesus died for them. <laughs> I said, well, Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. He said, no, he didn't. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know what that is? Then they'll stand before God one day, and this didn't wash with Adam. Remember, he said, this woman thou gavest me, the whole reason this thing happened, it's your fault, God, you gave me this woman. It didn't wash then. It won't wash then when people say, I didn't have any choice in the matter. You already condemned me to hell. It's, it's, it's your fault. It's not my fault. No, anyone that goes to hell, it is not God's fault because he died for the sins of the whole world. Anyone can be saved. Everyone should be saved. God is not willing <laughs> that any should perish. How in the world do some of these things come up? I don't get it. That's as far, far from the word of God as you can get. <laughs> We choose. My pastor used to say, there is an election going on. There is an election going on. 
God votes for you. Satan votes against you. And you cast the deciding vote. <laughs> yeah, it really says it. God does want to save us. He wants everyone to be saved. He's done everything. We don't have to do anything except, 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 E-X, accept, A-C, what he's done for us. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. But there is, again, a matter of our free will in the matter. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You ever see that picture taken from that passage in Revelation 3? You've surely seen it. little garden picture and Jesus is at this door. And he's knocking. And there's a little detail in this painting if you're not familiar with it. There's no knob on the outside of the door. <laughs> the knob's on the inside. Jesus doesn't barge, force himself in. No, he's, he's knocking. He wants to come in. But the responsibility is on the inside of the heart, if you will, to open the door and let him in. And we're the ones that determine whether he gets in or not. It's our will in the matter. All kinds of verses in the Word of God talking about our choosing and God wanting us to make the right choice. Let me just throw a couple of them at you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. <laughs> Choose you this day. Remember <laughs> Joshua before the whole nation? Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He already made the choice. I'm telling you what we're going to do. God give us some dads that will take their family in the same way. Listen, I don't care what you think, son. We're going to church this morning. I was talking to somebody today. Uh, he's on the bus route talking about some of these parents that call and say, my, my child doesn't want to go to church today, so don't come by. We're not, they're not going. Who runs the home today? Yeah, God help us. Remember my dad. <laughs> Thank God for my dad. The most foolish question I ever could have asked while I was being raised in my home was, Dad, are we going to church this Sunday? I never asked it. I was smart enough not to ask it. But if I had, I know I wouldn't have gotten an answer. I would have got a look like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> what kind of question is that? The Lydics go to church. They go to church every Sunday. They go to church every Wednesday. They go to church every Sunday night. They go to church every time the church door squeaks. We're there. Amen. My dad ran our home. God give us some dads that will step up to your place of responsibility. That wasn't even in my message, but it's good. <laughs> it's a matter of making the right choices and teaching your children to make the right choices, okay? Remember Elijah there on Mount Carmel? <laughs> All those prophets of Baal. And it was a day of choosing, wasn't it? Elijah's great statement there. Why halt you between two opinions? If God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. Who's going to make the choice here? I'll tell you who's going to make the choice. Israel's going to make the choice. We have a choice to make. God wants us to make the right choice. Okay. What God intends for man, blessing, blessed is the man, choosing that walketh not, nor, all the decisions that are inferred there, choosing. God wants us to choose and make the right choices. And then I call this thriving. Look at what he says in verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in due season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God wants us to prosper. He wants our life, come on, to be abundant living. He wants us to live victorious Christian living. Come on, we're more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Preacher friend of mine, <clears throat> he, he's kind of he's developed this thing when people, you know, you say, so how are you doing? People say, well, under the circumstances, I'm doing all right. He says this, what are you doing under there? <laughs> what are you doing under there? Come on, as a Christian, we're supposed to be on top of our circumstances. We're victors. We, we won already. You have, let, you have read the last chapter, right? We win. We'll start acting like winners because we are winners. And God wants us to thrive in our Christian life. I'll tell you, it is a sorry testimony from some Christians, and every church has them. I've had them in mind. I got one guy that comes to my mind every time I think about it. He's always walking on his lower lip. <laughs> Woe is me. Oh, the world's going to hell. It's horrible. Life is just miserable. What a testimony. No wonder, no wonder people don't want to get saved. <laughs> Christians think 
Christian life's miserable. No, it's not. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a blessing to be saved. It's a blessing to know the Savior. There's nothing. I say it this way many times. There'll never come a time in your life, once you're saved, you'll get down the road several years and you'll look back and say, you know, I wish. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't get saved. I wish I'd never gotten saved. I have never. Help me here. I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard this a whole lot down the road a few years. Well, I wish I could go back and change some things. <laughs> wish I could go back and do things differently than what I did. I wish I could go back. I can remember a time when the preacher preached and God was knocking on my heart's door about some things I needed to pay attention, need to make some corrections in my life. Oh, would to God, come on, would to God, I could go back. But you know what? You can't go back. Apostle Paul had the same kind of grief. He said, <laughs> I wish myself accursed. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But you can't change the past, but I'll tell you what you can change. You can change the future. It goes back to that thing of choosing. And God wants us to change the future so that we can be blessed, so that we can thrive, so that we can have a spring in our step and a smile on our face and we can rejoice in the things of God because I'm telling that's what God has for us. That's what God wants for us. Thriving. Jesus again said, I've come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. I like what Peter said, God through Peter in 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, about trials, difficulties, that they're precious? Really? Well, if you've got a spiritual perspective, you know that God is in charge, that God may be doing something we don't even understand, but whatever God is doing or allowing is for our good. I mentioned this morning, one of my favorite Bible characters and my favorite Bible story is the story of Joseph. The greatest writers, the Hawthorns and the Whit, you know, the different writers, known, renowned authors, the greatest movie scores and these different things that people, con no one could ever conjure up the story of Joseph. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. No one ever could make up a story like that. And it's a true story. And all that Joseph went through, and I've said many times, if ever there was a guy who could have had the right to say, where's God? I'm done with God. I've been right. I've done right. What good's it done for me? <laughs> Look where I am. I quit. If ever there was a guy that had a right to do it, you could say, would have been Joseph. But he remained faithful. I mean, it seemed like every corner he turned, he's done wrong again. I mean, he'd pick himself up, dust himself off, and he'd get slapped down again. But he stayed faithful to the point one day, I love this story, <laughs> his brothers show up, and he's vice Pharaoh. <clears throat> Baby brother had a little bit of joy, didn't he, in kind of rubbing their face <laughs> in some of what they'd done to him. But then he'd get overcome with emotion. He'd dismiss himself from their presence and go weep like a baby because all those visions, those dreams he'd had are now coming true. Wow, what a story. And finally, that, that great, I never read it. I've read it a thousand times maybe, but I never read it. I don't get choked up reading the thing. And he drives all of his servants out. I want, you out of the, I want you out of the room. Just these men. I want just time with these men by myself. Boy, they think this is it. We're dead. Because all the things they've already gone through. And he says, come here, come here. I'm your brother. Oh, my soul. I'm sure you could have heard a, heard a pin drop. I'm Joseph. Look at me, look at me. I'm Joseph. 
<laughs> I wish they'd had Polaroid or something back then. I'd like they had a picture of their faces about then. <laughs> like, what did you say? <laughs> I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. Come here. Hugs their neck. And <laughs> Whoa. And here's the famous statement we all know. Brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. <laughs> All that he went through, God had a program and plan. Joseph could never have imagined in his wildest dreams, and he had some great dreams, didn't he? He had no idea what some of those things meant and how it would come to fruition one day. But it must have been something when he said, wow. All those things, only God could have put it together like it was. And the Lord Jesus, the great typology that Joseph is of the Lord Jesus, in fact, get a handle on this as a believer. Do you know what? If it weren't for Joseph, there wouldn't be an Israel. Think about it. They'd have died of starvation. They wouldn't have made it. If it wouldn't have been for Joseph, there wouldn't be an Israel. You know what? If there wasn't an Israel, we wouldn't have a Savior. You think about it. The eternal impact of one guy's faith. <laughs> don't tell me you don't make a difference. You don't know the difference you may be making. One guy. Come on. We're talking about trust in the Lord. We're talking about, again, Things that God has in store. I put it this way. Nothing just happens to a believer. When I was a, when I was a young man, Doris Day, there was a great song. Que sera, sera. Anybody ever heard that song? Whatever will be, will be. It's a great song. I love the song. But the message is a lie. <laughs> it's not whatever will be, will be. God's designing. God's ordering. Steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Nothing just happens to you. It passes God's desk, and God says, you know, I think I can use that. Approved. <laughs> it may not be something God personally willed for your life, but he permitted it. It doesn't just happen. Come on. He's the sovereign one. It doesn't just happen. God either permits it or he purposes it for a purpose. So if we have that understanding, then just as I began to read, Peter said, that trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice, here it is, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. You know, we read that passage, rejoicing with joy unspeakable. And we often talk about you can't put it into words. That's kind of how we often apply it. And it, certainly there's an application there. But I think really the context is joy unexplainable. <laughs> I can't explain how I can rejoice in hardship and suffering. <laughs> this family that just lost their loved one. I know they're reeling from shock and hurt. We sorrow, we sorrow, but not as others which have no hope. And, and you'll go through something and you've either had it said to you or you have said to someone else, I, how you doing? I don't know how you seem to be doing as well as you're doing. I don't understand that. And usually if it's you that said that said to, you will say, or the one you have said it to will say something like this. I don't know, I just know God's just, his grace is sufficient. <laughs> he just meets the need. I, I can't explain it all together. It, it, it's a joy. It's unspeakable. It's unexplainable. But man, it is a joy. Again, we saw not as others which have no hope. There's a difference there. We can't explain it all together, but it is different. And it's a testimony to God's goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thriving. God wants us to thrive, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. That's what he wants for us. Blessing, choosing, 
thriving. And then I call it hearing. Look at verse number four. And godly are not so, for like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. (laughs) We can go through hardship and we can have a joy. Because again, there's things we know from the word of God that we've heard and we understand and we've experienced in our own right. But the ungodly are not so. <laughs> they don't know those things. They don't have those things. They haven't heard those things. I was talking to someone this morning. It's a different day. If you're working in children's ministries, you'll be the first to say it's a different day. When I was growing up, I mean, families that didn't even go to church or had no real interest in spiritual things, they had a spiritual sense, and they knew basic Bible things, certainly Bible stories. I was saying <clears throat> a few years ago, not real recent years, but like 10 years ago, some kid at our church didn't, he thought the story of David and Goliath was some sports analogy. He didn't know it was a real story. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about simple Bible stories. Here was a nine, 10 year old boy, didn't even know it. Well, again, think where we are today. If If they don't go to church, they won't hear it. They certainly don't hear it in school. Talked about that this morning. They won't hear it on TV. I, when I was, some years ago, I was watching me TV or something, and they were showing you know, some of these old TV shows. Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, man, Hopalong Cassidy was on. Oh, Hoppy. So, man, I tuned right in. I hadn't seen Hoppy in years, you know. Always wear a white hat. He's a good guy. Some of you kids are going, who? <laughs> Hopalong Cassidy. And so I was watching this, this Hoppy show, and, those that remember it, if you can remember back that long ago, late 50s, at the end of the show, there'd be kind of like Roy Rogers, it'd be some story and experience he had. And so there's a whole story of the good guys and against the bad guys and the good guys always won, you know. Well, then at the end of the show, Hoppy would come on kind of in a personal way, like he's talking now to the boys and girls out there. And so he said, now, boys and girls said, the, the policeman is your friend. He said, don't call him derogatory names. He didn't even say cop or anything. He said, he's your friend. And you need to respect him and call him sir and always do what he says. Make sure you always do that. And then he said this, oh, one more thing. Don't forget to go to Sunday school Sunday. I'll see you next week. I about fell out of my chair. (laughs) I said, what did he say? Don't forget to go to Sunday school. (laughs) Hey, there was a day when that was the common Forum for our country. So foreign today, we can't even imagine it. <laughs> so I'm saying, come on, things are different today. So we got a whole generation's come up. If they're not in church and they're not hearing the Bible taught in that context, they're not hearing it in the home, they're not hearing it in school, they're not hearing it in a public forum, where are they going to hear it? So when they say, I never heard of David and Goliath. Who's David? Don't go, whoa, What? <laughs> Say, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you who he is. Amen. Hearing. Hearing. All kinds of admonitions in the word of God. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Come on. We need to hear. God wants us to hear what he has to say. God wants us to hear. God wants us to learn by hearing and learning. So let's put it this way. You can learn the best way, or you can learn the hard way. (laughs) We call it the school of hard knocks. You can learn to the young boy. Now, don't put your fingers in the fan, okay? That fan blade goes around, it's sharp. You put your fingers in, it cut, it hurts. Don't listen to me, son. Look at me. Look at me. Don't put your fingers in the fan. Now, he can learn the best way. Say, okay, Dad, I I won't ever do that. Or he can say, (laughs) he'll still learn won't he nah he won't do that again (laughs) but he's learned the hard way well come on as believers we're no different God wants us to hear his admonitions and his warnings you can learn the best way or you can learn the hard way God doesn't want us to learn the hard way he wants us to hear 
what he says and benefit from it. You know, as a pastor, let me share a, a hardship of being a pastor. Maybe help you better appreciate Brother Jet and those that minister to you as, as full-time servants. One of the most grievous things in the ministry. Now, overall, I'm like Paul. Thank God he counted me worthy putting me in the ministry. I'm so glad he called me and I served 41 years in the same church and it's all good. But <laughs> there's some, there's one grievous aspect of it that really not pleasant at all. <laughs> it's for example, you'll say, Pastor, we need some counsel. We need to sit down and talk with you a bit. Okay. And so, a young couple or something comes and they begin to tell you some of the things they're facing. And I say, by the grace of God, I want to give you the best counsel I can give you from the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you what I believe God would have you to know and to do. And, and it's not what I think. Most important, I want you to understand, this is what God thinks and this is what he'd have you do. And I don't have enough fingers and toes to tell you in 41 years of times I can read it on their face. And here's what I read. Go ahead, preacher. We know we're supposed to come ask you what you think, and we're giving you the chance to talk about it. But we don't care what you say. You hearing me? We've already made up our mind, and this is what we're going to do. <laughs> I got to the point later in the ministry, I'd say, okay, first thing, let's, let's get some ground rules here. Is your time precious? I'll ask him that. Of course. I say, so is mine. <clears throat> I'm going to do my very best to be a help to you. I'm your pastor. I want to be. But don't waste my time and don't waste God's. <laughs> if you already come in here, and this is just some formality you go through, we need to ask the pastor about it, but you already made up your mind what you're going to do. Don't, don't waste my time. Hear me, church people. Don't waste your preacher's time. If you really want to know, <laughs> then amen. Because I, I, can, I can speak without any reservation for Brother Jet and say, he wants to give you the best counsel by the word of God that he can give you. But hear it. Are you listening? Got your ears on? Hear it. I'm not talking about just physically hear it. Goes in one ear and out the other side. No, I'm talking about receive it. <laughs> Have an attitude, say, I want to know what God would have me to do. I'm confused, I, I'm frustrated, I, I'm perplexed here, and I need to know what God, God, give me some direction. Use the man of God to help me here. And Lord, I want you to know if you'll give me some direction, I'll put it to practice in my life. Now, I'm telling you, that's what God wants. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to prosper. And he wants you to hear. When I <clears throat> moved to Houston, Texas years ago, Moved there in 1970. I was given the testimony many times. <clears throat> I went to Egypt, Texas, <laughs> and I married me an Egyptian girl. <laughs> anyway, 1975. Remember, I remember the year because Houston Chronicle, the Houston Post, or maybe both, but I remember one of the papers had a whole section given to what was called the storm of 1900. It was the 75th anniversary of the storm of 1900. If you're not familiar with it, it's the worst natural disaster in American history. A hurricane, just called the storm of 1900, came into Galveston Island. In the 1800s, the largest city in Texas was Galveston. Galveston, the city, is on an island. It's called Galveston Island. Years ago, the only way to get onto the island was by way of a ferry. Now they've got I-45, you know, an eight-lane thing going in. But then you had to ride a ferry to get onto the island. That's the only way to get on at all. There was a man that worked for the National Weather Service. His name was Isaac Klein. And, of course, they didn't have the technology they have today. Basically, they had stations out in the Gulf, in the Caribbean, that would kind of monitor storms, and they'd kind of give word ahead of what the situation was. And, and of course, weathermen then had to 
you know, kind of like weathermen yet today. They had to do their homework, and they're studying barometric pressures. I'm not a weather guy. I don't know all the t technology and the diff different things involved, but this guy's studying what he's understanding about this storm. He's convinced this, this thing is going to be devastating. So he goes down to the beach, and just like it is today, folks down on the beach, and just like it is today when a storm is in the Gulf, surfs up, and so people are enjoying it, and they're playing in the surf. And he's, I mean, he's going to people, crowds of people, begging them. Because, again, you don't just jump on the freeway and get off. There's time involved. You need to get off this island. There's a storm coming. I'm telling you, I can't tell you how bad it's going to be, but it's going to be bad. And I'm telling you, you need to get off the beach. You need to get off the island. This horrible storm is coming, and it's going to be devastating. And he's pleading with people. And, and he, he writes a story later on. His own wife, he left his wife at home. His wife dies in the storm. Between, they don't even know, somewhere up to 12,000 people lose their life. The whole island of Galveston is underwater. I mean, the whole island. There's a 15-foot storm surge that comes in. The wind, the estimate was at 150 miles an hour, this storm. Devastating, I mean, leveled the place. Hundreds, thousands of people die. Isaac Klein survives floating in, in this storm on debris, for his very life, didn't think he would survive it, but he did. So he later writes an account about it and how he went down to the beach and he's begging people, I mean, pleading with them, please listen to me, I'm telling you, you need to get out of here. And he said many of them would laugh at him. Here's the application. Why wouldn't they listen? But they wouldn't. The consequences, worst natural disaster in American history. We've had bad storms, and recent ones have gotten a lot of press. Hasn't even come close to the storm of 1900. God is pleading with us through his word. Will you not heed my word? Will you not give attention? Come on. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You need to hear. Come on, the truth is there. I preached on the truth this morning. It's available. <laughs> Why will people not listen? Why will they not heed? In fact, it's just as Isaac Klein experienced. People will laugh in a sense. Oh, that's the preacher. You know how preachers are. <laughs> They're so dramatic. <laughs> I'm telling you. There's never been a preacher on the face of the earth that can be as dramatic as he needs to be to communicate the urgency and the importance of this book <laughs> and the direction and the appeal. That God gives the hearing. God wants us to give heed to his instruction. Paul wrote to Timothy, take heed to thyself. Apply it to your own personal life. Take heed. What God intends for man, blessing, choosing, thriving, hearing. And then by hearing, knowing. Look at verse number six and we're done. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Knowing. Knowing. Simple truth is this. God knows what he's talking about. I said, God knows what he's talking about. He's not, this isn't just philosophy or this isn't just conjure, you know, this is what I think. This is my best uh, opinion here. No, God not, knows what he's talking about. When there's things that he tells us he wants us to hear, it's because he knows what he's talking about. Isaac Klein, the weatherman, knew what he was talking about as it turned out. In fact, he knew more probably than he thought he knew. When he understood it was going to be a devastating storm. God tells us things that he knows and he wants us to know. Just page over a couple of pages back in Job. <laughs> I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. Job chapter 38. You know, Job, of course, another one of my favorites. Never charged God foolishly. In the midst of all that he went through, trusted God, didn't he? Amen. But God did have a little bit of grief with him in that Job got so despondent and so discouraged by it all that he, he wished he'd never been born. 
Now, again, in the midst of it all, he had no idea all that was going on. There was a real contest between God and Lucifer about the quality of the man Job. And so, at the end here, God kind of takes Job to task on some things. And I said it this morning, when, when God starts asking questions, we're in trouble. Look, look in chapter 38, look at verse number 4 where he starts there. This is God talking to Job. He said, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, and if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched out the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it breaks forth? as if it had issued out of a womb. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. Here shall thy proud waves be stayed. You know what God's talking about? He's talking about creation. Where were you, Job, when I did all this? You think you know about it? Tell me about it. Isn't it, isn't it incredible? The audacity of these pinhead professors got all these letters behind their name that mean absolutely nothing because God says they're fools. Who say that there was this big bang and we came out of a little puddle of water. and The same question. Okay, pinhead, where were you when I started it all? <laughs> the one that was there, come on, has the authority to speak to it. He knows Come on, he's told us in his word how it all took place, and he's the one that knows. Why would we give heed to anybody that doesn't even know what they're talking about? God knows what he's talking about in every aspect of life, of everything that is. Come on, nothing that is, we read in John chapter 1, nothing exists but what God made it. (laughs) He's the author of it all. He knows how it works. The cosmos is incredible beyond our comprehension. God's named every star, every every fleck in the cosmos. God knows about it. He put it there. Interesting how it stays put. (laughs) He made it that way. God knows. Basically this. What God wants us to know is what he knows. And he's given us so much understanding. You know, there was a time all the so-called knowledgeable people believed that the world was flat. And if you thought anything other than that, you're a nutcase. (laughs) You're You're a country bumpkin. You're an ignoramus. The world is flat. Anybody with any sense knows that it's flat. When all along, in the word of God, God talks about the circumference of the earth. Isn't that amazing? How he knew it was round. (laughs) When everybody in any kind of knowledge knows that it's flat, God says, no, it's always been round. I made it round. (laughs) Who was it? One of the, um, name escapes me, one of the first scientists, astronomers that studied, he began to think the world is really round. And so he's called in there to Rome, the, the church at Rome. It was a heretical thing to say that anything other than what the church said was so. If you take issue with that, you're in danger of losing your life. You'd be burned at the stake as a heretic. And so they challenged him about his claim that that the the sun was actually the center of of the planets and earth was rotating around the sun. Well, you idiot, the sun comes up and goes down. And so they challenged him about it and said, listen, if you don't change your opinion on this postulation, this philosophy, this theory of yours, then I'm telling you, we're going to burn you at the stake. And here was his famous statement. Somebody help me. I can't think of his name. But here was his statement. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll I'll say it wasn't so. But that doesn't change the fact it is so. (laughs) So I go on record to saying, no, it's not really that way. But under his breath, he said, but it is. Amen. I said it is, it's the way God designed it. It's always been the way God designed it. (laughs) But God wants us to know. God doesn't put any premium on ignorance. 
He wants us to have knowledge. And so he's given us a book that gives us insight and understanding. This, this, this ought to be a textbook in the schools because it speaks to every, every issue that man faces. And God wants us to know the answers to it. It's a math book. It's a literature book. Come on. It's a science book. It's a book of learning and understanding because God wants us to know. God's intention for man, he wants to bless. He wants us to make right choices. He wants us to thrive and prosper. He wants us to hear so that then he wants us to know. There's some great things that we can know, not the least of which is you can know you have a home in heaven and you can know you're going there. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank God for what he wants for us. He is a good God. Yes, he is. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.